When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Zach Rosenblatt here with Mike K for the latest episode of the No Huddle Show. We have a lot of things on our mind that have nothing to do with the Eagles, includes the Sixers being eliminated and the Game of Thrones episode that we're pretty upset with. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk about the Eagles today. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tie this in real quick. I think if Howie Roseman was running Game of Thrones, it, they would be going in the, a more <laughs> proper direction. I'd say he'd, he'd be a little more economical in his storytelling, like he is with roster moves. <laughs> yeah, I mean there would like be a he, lot of he wouldn't, he wouldn't throw a dragon off the board for no reason. Like a dragon wouldn't just die. He would he would find value in the dragon, even if he meant trading him to Cersei or something for like draft picks. Yeah, like a six round <laughs> compensatory. Pick yeah, he'd at least got a comp pick out of the dragon yeah. dying. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry for spoiling uh, Thrones if you guys are if someone hasn't caught up. Though. Yeah, uh, I'm not really that sorry. All right, <laughs> anyway. So, it's been a busy, nothing like major, but it's been a busy couple of days for the Eagles. This morning, they re-signed Stefan Wisniewski to a one-year, I think like one and a half. 1.5. Pretty cheap contract. Relative like to where we started this offseason when they declined this option, it's surprising. But in the context of how free agency has gone, it's not surprising. Like it's one of those expectations versus reality kind of thing. Um, another thing they did randomly on Mother's Day, which I didn't really see coming, but it makes sense in retrospect, is they signed QB Cody Kessler to be their like a veteran arm in camp uh, for the rest of the summer. Released Luis Perez, who might have to turn to a future in bowling now. I don't know. <laughs> I laid down the gauntlet, baby, on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, you challenged him. Yeah, I can't, I, I'm still open to it if he but, is. Like the, the overarch- we'll get into like each individual thing, but the overarching like idea of these two signings just kind of plays back into the fact that Howie's leaving no stone unturned this offseason. Um, you could argue they don't really have a weakness right now. There's spots maybe they could use some depth, maybe defensive end, depending on how you feel about the safety group. But, like, just if they were playing today, they have one of the five most talented rosters in the NFL. And they have a, one of the very few rosters that really doesn't have holes. Like, if almost any position you point to besides maybe defensive end, if somebody gets hurt, they're okay. Yeah. And they weren't last year. That was a problem. Like, you, you can see how he learned his lesson. He's good at learning from his mistakes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's just been very thorough with finding every way to improve this roster. And he's doing it with a long-term scope in mind. Like, you and I talked about it off air, but most of these guys are on short-term contracts. Uh, None of them really impact the compensatory pick formula outside of maybe Zendejo or LJ Fort. And really, I mean, if you look at their philosophies, they're deep at every position you'd expect them to be deep at. I mean, yeah, defensive end, linebacker, maybe could use some upgraded talent in some key roles, but... I mean, overall, if you would have gone to this offseason and and said to yourself, hey, we need this, this, and this, I think they probably accomplished that. We The things we probably talked about most in the offseason that they needed help at were running back, wide receiver, uh, depth on the defensive line, 
and probably safety is probably something we talked about a lot. Maybe safety is the one they didn't fill because it depends on how you feel about Sendejo. I know we're both not very high on him. Um, but they got two running backs. They got two wide receivers. They got defensive. They got Malik Jackson, who's an upgrade from what they had there. They got Vinny Curry back. Hassan I mean, Ridgeway. Hassan, like they, they bought low on a guy like that. Um, they drafted Sharif Miller. They signed a linebacker. So they, the two things that Eagles fans are most passionate about and are pretty impatient about, clearly, because Howie just was just waiting to strike. He got Zach Brown, he got Jordan Howard, and he got Miles Sanders. Those are three guys who are upgrades from what they had at the position last year. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, how can you not give him an A? Because not only has he been smart with the moves, he's been creative. So, like... There's a difference between, like, cap smart and, like, understanding your needs and going and address them. He's not only addressed those needs, he's been very tactful with how he's done everything. And I think some of these trades are going to really pay off down the road. Just the, the Deshaun Jackson trade, basically, I mean, for the equivalent. They gave him a seventh-round pick, or sixth-round pick. Yeah. And, I mean, and they got a seventh back. I, I do think the Michael Bennett trade will eventually hurt them in some yeah. form or fashion because Vinny Curry is not the pass rusher that Michael Bennett yeah. is. But, yeah, the, the thing with that is you have to factor in, like, I don't know if he would have been happy with his role this year. So Right. You, you don't want that sort of issue in the locker room. Yeah. And they brought in a lot of really good locker room guys. Malik Jackson's a really good locker room guy. Cody Kessler's a really good locker room guy. Blake Countess last in, in Los Angeles for a while. They wanted him back. He just didn't want to take a pay cut. Vinny Curry's a good locker room guy. You know, Deshaun has matured a lot since the last time he was here. It's, they're really... Brandon Graham. Yeah, yeah, they're bringing in and retaining guys that are true to their nature and true to their philosophy. No move has really been, like, completely out of bounds that they've made. I, I think, you know, even Clayton Thorson. They said they wanted to draft a quarterback every year. That's what they did. I think... Sharif Miller was a little bit of a reach, but again, they wanted to add pass rushing depth. They view pass rushing depth as something that's important. They did that. I, I mean, Wisniewski, they gave him the opportunity to go look for a starting job, and when he couldn't get it, they brought him back on a reduced rate. Smart. Same, same with Jernigan. Yeah, I mean, Jernigan, Jernigan's an interesting signing, but I don't think he's like... I, I don't think he... <clears throat> excuse me. I think it... Him resigning with the Eagles is bigger for him than the Eagles. Yeah, that yeah. made sense. Like, I mean, I, and you can think about it. They were gonna have to pay him eleven million. Instead, they're paying him three million. Yeah. So, you know, again, I mean, look, Zach Brown came here cheap. I don't know if he's guaranteed to start. I think he will. But I mean, again, it, they have a lot of opportunities here, and I think they came out of rookie minicamp feeling like clearly. At the offensive line position, they needed to upgrade that and couldn't just rely on, on a bunch of undrafted free agents. And then at quarterback, you know, you and I want to talk about the rookie minicamp stuff. I have a, I have a lot to say about Luis Perez. So if you want to segue into that, we can. Yeah, so rookie minicamp uh, happened over the weekend. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We got to see a little bit on Friday. Media only is able to see them uh, warm up and do individual workouts. Um, it's, I mean, we can talk about the quarterbacks now, you know, it's the, before practice, Doug said how you can kind of see right away if a quarterback has it, or if he, Mm -hmm. you know, is capable of running their system. And clearly they didn't see that. I think the reason why they signed Cody Kessler was in part because they went out there and didn't like what they saw from Luis Perez and Cody Kessler's out there on the market. He's a veteran. He's accurate. Maybe he's not, doesn't have a deep arm. I'd be pretty shocked if he actually made the team, but he, 
they've talked about wanting to sign a veteran quarterback all offseason, and he fits the bill. Yeah, um, so a couple of things. He was on waivers pretty cheap on a third-round salary, and they didn't claim him. So we are led to believe that what happened in rookie minicamp led them to sign him. Yeah. Yeah. we watched one individual session. You can't kill somebody for that. Yeah. You were actually over at the quarterbacks more than I was. Yeah. The reason why I came over to watch the quarterbacks is I saw Luis Perez three times in a row throw either a ball over a guy's head, uh, throw a ball far off to his right, far off to his left, and I was like, where the heck is the accuracy here? Because, I mean, he in the AAF, he only completed like 54% of his passes. So he, he's not an accurate quarterback. It, it was just all – it was a mess. He looks, he looks small, too. Yeah, he looks small. He's like Joe Callahan. I mean, like, year. I've covered some, like, practices with guys like Max Wittick and Tanner Lee who were terrible. He looked worse. Um, by the way, I don't think Clayton Thorson looked, like, amazing either, by the way. I, I didn't either. I didn't really understand Again, a lot of the media. It's hard for us to judge a lot just on the individual stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not but, criticizing anybody yeah. who wrote about it, but I, I saw a couple of people say, oh, he'll, he looked great and true. I, he looked like I mean, a quarterback who threw to his, some coaches. Like that's yeah, all he saw. was fine. Um, that's all we saw. I mean, it, Perez's accuracy was radically off base. Yeah, that's yeah. the reason why I he's not an NFL he, quarterback, right? Um, talking about Cody Kessler, so I covered his training camp last year when the Eagles traded for him, or sorry, the uh, Jaguars traded for him. Um, <laughs> Already his third team in his fourth year, by the way. Right. Well, he was he was ruined by Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson did a terrible job. Who, with him. who among us hasn't been? <laughs> right, he did a terrible job with him. He still was able to set the Browns rookie record for completion percentage and and all that stuff in eight starts, even though he went zero and eight. I mean, I think that's more of a byproduct of the Browns going zero and whatever or being one in sixteen or no the, no they were they were one in they were one in uh, thirty two yeah. or thir- one in thirty one over the two years that he was on the team. So I don't think that's Bad. really. I don't I don't think that's on him. Um, it's all Cody Kessler's fault. <laughs> look, he's a guy who's not going to throw beyond 15 yards. It's just not going to happen. He's a very he's, he's Eli Manning. Is what you're he favors <laughs> the he favors the short pass, but he's extremely accurate um, on crossing routes and and dump offs to to running backs. You can say, "Wow, that sounds like a pretty easy thing to do." No, it's not really. I mean, he constantly puts the ball in the right place within the 15-yard radius and sets up his his wide receivers to get yards after the catch. The problem is the Jaguars really didn't have guys who could extend plays outside of D.D. Westbrook, and by the time D.D. Westbrook had evolved last season, at least from the games that I saw, he was getting double teamed in coverage. So, look, I think Cody's a guy who, you know, he started 12 games in in his career. Um, More than Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld's appeared in a handful of games and thrown 25 passes. They're both around the same age. Uh, Kessler's going to be cheaper. Um, You want somebody to push Sudfeld because we've seen Carson Wentz come off back-to-back season-ending injuries. And and we don't know what he's going to be like in OTAs either. Right. And then f- from that standpoint, too, you need some experience in that room. You've already got a developmental quarterback in Clayton Thorson. The second they drafted him, Luis Perez was, uh, you know, dead on the scene as far as his roster spot was concerned because he became redundant. Um, 
Nate Sedfold's going to be the backup quarterback, but let's say there's a major injury somewhere or a guy who's a veteran who's in the last year of his contract gets injured and you you know a team wants to start anew. Nate Sudfeld could have some trade value. I mean, he's not that expensive. You know, you never know. The interesting thing about Cody Kessler is he really doesn't fit the dynamic of the Doug Peterson quarterback. He's 6'1". I think he's like 2... Not very athletic. 2'14". Yeah. I mean, he can run a little bit. He actually had some pretty good runs in training camp. Funny story. He uh, he didn't throw an interception in... training camp until after the preseason started so like he he i mean he that is a hilarious story it is you're right yes thanks uh anyway (laughs) i liked him at usc he was very successful you brought up uh nelson Aguilar. yeah his Uh, best two seasons were with cody kessler quarterback right so they and he acknowledged him on social media too i saw um look you could do much worse for a third quarterback i also wonder if they think they can sneak Clayton Thorson onto the practice squad, which I don't think no. would be the case. I've spoken to a couple of front office you people. You use a fifth round pick guy that you plan on cutting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked to a couple of front office people that have said that they really liked Clayton in the last few rounds. So I think the Eagles are justified in picking him in the fifth round. Uh, again, we'll see. I mean, there's always, there always could be an injury. I mean, Clayton Thorson could hit his finger on a on a helmet, and you can IR him with a broken hand or a fracture, you know, an injury. So. For a year, I, I just think it's a smart move. It's a can't miss move. You, you, he either makes the team or he doesn't. Whatever. Yeah. I, before the signing, I, I was kind of of the mind that Carson Wentz wasn't going to be participating in at least OTAs, mm-hmm. maybe minicamp. Uh, just the way they've been so coy about him. Like, they, if he was healthy, they could just come out. I know they're they're coy about all things health related, but I they they could come out and say it. So I I think part of the appeal of bringing on someone like Cody Kessler is that you have two guys that you're confident that can throw the ball to the receivers and run the offense in him and Nate Sudfeld throughout the summer. Mm-hmm. And it's more for the receivers and the offensive line and learning the offense maybe than necessarily Cody Kessler fighting for a roster spot. Sure. I think that's I think that's a completely fair assumption. The only thing that I, I, I wonder about is he's got his charity softball game. Isn't that in the middle of OTAs? He didn't plan it last year, to be fair. Um, true. He was going through his knee thing. So... If, if his back's still injured, I can't imagine yeah. who they would want him playing in that. And even if he doesn't appear in OTAs, I don't really care. I, I, no, I, I said this, I was on our radio show a couple weeks ago, and I said it's not right now isn't the time to be worried. If he misses minicamp OTAs, that's fine. Like, he's not the only player that does that. If he starts missing training camp and they don't play him during the preseason again, then you can be start wondering, okay, why is this back injury still lingering? I think he has to play for mandatory minicamp, at least some drills. I, I, I think he needs to do at least if it even if, even if he... Uh, maybe for the sake of the fans not freaking out, but I, I I don't think it becomes a problem until he's not playing in training camp. Yeah, I mean... Well, he didn't have a full training camp last year. He, barely, he was limited most of the time. Well, and I also think it helps keeping Nate Sudfeld all these reps yeah, at first. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there, there are benefits to it and, and easing him back in. The issue that I have is he's never really had an offseason where he's been 100% healthy and I mean the second year he did I guess you could say that but like he's never had it to where look he's the veteran in the room he's the guy like Nick Foles was there in year two you know what I mean he is the dude this is like him he's the most experienced guy in the room he's leading the room period um, year two, he had that full off season where he was able to work with Nick, and that helped him. I think now I'm just kind of like, if he's not there for mandatory minicamp and they go off, and 
He's then... Um, and there's like a month and a half until the next thing they Yeah, do. it's like you expect him then to pick up everything in training camp. Yeah, like, we, like we saw when Nick Foles had his injury a couple of years ago and it took a while for him to get going. You know what I mean? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't worry about it, honestly. I don't think Cody Kessler is a symptom of, of Carson Wentz. I think it's more of... Hey, I don't think it's a symptom as much as just like an arm that can be there. Right. I, I think I think it was it made sense. You needed upgraded competition. That, that's the whole point. You're never your foot's never off the pedal. Howie Roseman says that repeatedly. Yeah. And the quarterback position is the most important position in sports. Might as well have another arm that has more than twenty five passes to its credit. I mean, and if Clayton Thorson comes out and is just absolutely terrible, mm-hmm. then you, like you said, you know, Nate Sefeld's one play away. And the next guy is two plays away. Like yeah. in this in this team, there's been there was that year uh, where McNabb got hurt, and then Coy Detmer got hurt, and then AJ Feely came into the mix. They were ready. Um, they they prepare for every scenario. They weren't prepared for every scenario last year. I think you saw, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they weren't prepared for all those injuries that they had. Well, and they're dedicating so little money to the quarterback position right yeah. now before they pay Carson. So. Again, I, I don't see a negative in this, and you know, let's get into Wisniewski because we've talked about we've talked. About, oh wait, actually, let's talk about our three observations from minicamp before we transition to Wisniewski. So, what were your like three biggest takeaways? Three. Um, number one, uh, I found it interesting that the Eagles basically said that they're keeping Andre Dillard exclusively at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought maybe because he's the first-round pick, you put him in when a guy goes down. You don't use a first-round pick on a guy you're not going to use, but they want him to stick there. He's going to replace Jason Peters. Like, we all know that. Um, you know, there was some discussion of should they put him at guard if Brooks isn't ready to go? Would he start at right tackle <clears throat> if Lane Johnson gets hurt? They, Doug Peterson pretty much said no to that because he was like – the, the discussion started with him talking about how they cross-train everybody. And then he was asked about Dillard, and he's like, oh, besides him, basically. And I, I found that it, I mean it makes a lot of sense. You want a rookie like it's not it's not as easy to just move guys around the offensive line like everybody mm-hmm. wants it to be. But everybody's like just put Jason Peters at guard. Well, he hasn't played guard his entire career. He's he could be a genius, and it's still a really different skill set. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's the right move. And if Jason Peters gets hurt, I think Dillard goes in. But if Lane Johnson gets hurt, as long as Viatai is on the roster, I think he goes in at right tackle, unless they're really high on Matt Pryor, I guess. Oh, I'm going. I'm going three in a row. Yeah, how are you talking? Or, or, or do you or do you want me to? I, I mean, I, I don't feel know. like go- <laughs> I can. Um, so, staying with the offensive line, I thought it was very interesting. Their first team, and you know, by this afternoon, they could have a different look of undrafted linemen. But uh, it went Dillard at left tackle, um, uh, Sua Opata at left guard. Keegan Render at center, um, Nate Herbig at right guard, and then Ryan Bates at right tackle. And I thought it was very interesting that they used Ryan Bates at right tackle. He's a guy that I've been high on. You've mocked me for being high on him. <laughs> I do think he's got a really good shot at making the roster because he can play all five positions. Um, but I assumed that they would immediately bring him in as guard. And I, it's, yeah, it's they, just, they list him at tackle too, which right. I thought was interesting from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there is some thought put into that, that type of stuff. And so I'm interested to see how he stacks up. Look, he's in a situation where he's probably competing with Jordan Melata and Matt Pryor for the final or final two, uh, offensive line spots. I know they've talked very highly of Melata and Matt Pryor. 
I don't think they're locks for the roster. I think Matt Pryor's a man without a home. A lot, as much as people were like, oh, he's going to be the backup guard. Yeah, he was a tackle in college. And I, I just, I don't see the correlation. He didn't play at all last season, despite all of the injuries that they had. Milata is still a work in progress. Ryan Bates is a pretty highly thought of, at least in draft circles, guy. And offensive linemen are typically the ones that earn jobs after going undrafted. So I'm interested to see how that three-way competition goes. That would be my first takeaway. What you got? Um, Let's see. I would say, I thought, you know, we saw Miles Sanders and Arcega Whiteside taking punt returns. Um, I don't know if I necessarily see either of them being a punt returner once the season starts. I, it seems like they're going in the direction of Sanders contributing as a returner in general, maybe as a kick returner. Or Sega Whiteside doesn't have any experience with that. Maybe back in high school he did, and he's not like super. He's like fast, but not like returner fast. Mm-hmm. So that's if there was a question on their depth chart, you could say return. It's not like that's not that big of a deal if you don't have an amazing returner in reality, because return, especially kick returns, don't even happen that often anymore anyway. Mm-hmm. But and I know there's a guy you wrote about, DeAndre Tompkins from Penn State, who is fast, and he kind of if he's gonna make it onto the roster, it'll be because of his returnability, right? Yeah, that, that would be my second observation. Uh, he actually didn't have the best day for a guy who's got a lot yeah, of you were, you were over there watching those more than I was. Yeah, he, uh, he had a couple of drops, but he also explained to me that, you know, and it makes a lot of sense, punt uh, fielding is something that you have to do regularly because you've got to get used to judging the ball in the air, judging the spot, judging your timing, and I, I guess that makes sense. He also said that... Um, Taking a punt from a jugs machine as opposed to an actual punter is like being left-handed mm. and writing with your right hand. I never thought of that, That's which is kind of interesting because, like, with a regular punter, it's gonna go. It could go anywhere, but yeah. with a jugs machine, it, it, gets this, high, yeah, yeah. it gets to the same spot. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, it's interesting, like technical note. I never even thought of that. Yeah, so he was kind of feeling his groove and got back into it, and he's got a good attitude about well, it. Well, your boy will be back, so we can punt it to him in the, in the coming weeks. Oh, hey, <laughs> Cam John. Hive. You still have a condo on Cam Johnson Island, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> I do. It's got a pretty view. Um, what do you got? Uh, third one has less to do with like the football side of things and more just like a guy that I'm just going to be rooting for to make mm-hmm. the team, and that's Kevin Wilkins. Hmm. Um, if you don't know his story, you should look it up. I wrote about his kind of his literal journey from North Jersey to Philly, which included his car breaking down. <laughs> but th- like his story, like like the Cliff Notes version is that he was like taken away from his mother when he was like six years old because she was a drug addict, and he went through like 14 different foster care homes. He he f- finally wound up with the the family that he lived with for most of his life. He got really good at sports. And and because of that, he was able to reconnect with his biological mother, who's now clean. So he has, like, two mothers, basically, and, like, this whole city of people who are just supporting him. And, like, he, just talking to him, he's just really smart. He understands his place. He knows that he has to prove that he belongs. He doesn't think that he's made it yet. And that th- th- this is the time of year where guys like that kind of, like, the, their stories, we get, we're able to learn about these guys. And, you know, you get attached, and maybe they don't make it. Maybe they never do, but... I, I, I know you enjoy talking to undrafted guys as much as anybody, and they, they, most of them have interesting journeys to this point, and I don't know if there's many that could top his. Yeah, um, so speaking of undrafted guys, I spoke with uh, Alex um, Singleton. CFL, yeah. Yeah, the CFL linebacker, and learned actually quite a bit about him. Um, you know, he's a guy that 
won the CFL Outstanding Defensive Player of the Year award in 2017. He helped the team, the Calgary Stampeders, win a Grey Cup, which is the equivalent of a Super Bowl last year. Two-time All-Star. He was in pretty high demand coming out of, out of the CFL when his contract was up, and he really took the leap of faith. He fell in love with the city of Calgary and just decided yo, I'm going to try this. So he worked out for the Los Angeles Chargers, the Arizona Cardinals, the Minnesota Vikings, and the Cleveland Browns before deciding to sign with the Eagles. And he felt like the Eagles were the right fit for him, probably because their linebacker depth isn't terrific. But, um, you know, he's got an interesting story too. So, like, his mom was born in Toronto, but he's from Thousand Thousand Oaks, uh, California. But since she was born, she's American. Since she was born in Toronto, he qualified for dual citizenship so he was able to enter in the cfl draft after like so he started off he went to montana state he signed with the seattle seahawks coming out of college he was an undrafted free agent got cut during final cuts spent some time with the patriots and the vikings because of course uh everyone does on the practice squad and then he entered the cfl draft it was the sixth overall pick and then became like pretty much the Khalil Mack of the CFL for the last two years. So uh, very interesting. I've heard that the Eagles really, really like him. Uh, You know, he's a guy that has some upside. And, you know, if he gets cut during final cuts, he seems like a guy who would get claimed uh, because just of his reputation in the CFL. He told me that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about the transition from the CFL to the NFL because there are some differences. And he told me, he goes, if you ask Mark and Mich- Michelle, the wide receiver that they signed from the CFL, if if there were some changes, he would tell you yes, because they get that head start of, of running um, as at wide receiver. But he said at linebacker, it's basically the same thing. So he's a guy that I'm really interested in watching. I think they keep five to six linebackers, and he could be the guy that kind of surprises people. And maybe works you know paul Worlow or nate gary off the roster i i have my eye on tj edwards for that spot too obviously he yeah he, he i'm gonna write about him this week he's an interesting guy too um but by the way kevin wilkins he's Rutgers and he plays defensive tackle i think he has a shot at the practice squad it's gonna be tough for him to make the team um all right before we get into our last activity we want to do before we go let's talk a little bit about bringing wiz back sure we, we talked at the top about how we kind of we both have talked throughout the offseason how we didn't think he was coming back there was kind of no reason I think he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like maybe, I don't know if bad blood is the right word, but last year he openly complained about getting benched for Sayamalu, which you don't do in pretty much any locker room, but especially the Eagles where they have such like a tight-knit thing going mm-hmm. where guys don't really say bad things about each other in the public. He wasn't saying it about Sayamalu, but he was talking badly. And like there was back and forth in the media with Jeff Stoutland talking about it and Doug Peterson, and he's like, and Stefan Wazus, he was like, I have theories about why I was benched. Uh, they declined his option, which was an inexpensive option. It was less than $4 million, like 3.7 or something. He didn't find any interest on the open market. I think we both kind of thought he would sign somewhere and get them a comp pick. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen, but again, this is something we've talked about as since the beginning of free agency. They needed depth on the interior offensive line, especially at center. And Wesnewski covers all three bases in terms of guard, center, guard. He might start for Brandon Brooks. He's done that before. He played in that Saints game. You feel pretty good about Wisniewski as your lead backup, your swing backup in the interior. Yeah, so a lot of it was made of the right guard situation because of Brandon Brooks' recovery. But um, in my opinion, they needed a backup center more than they needed a backup guard, even though he can do all three um, positions. Because 
Isaac Samalu is pen, was penciled in as the backup center. That's terrific. Awesome for the long term. Not great if your starter is also a backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, if you move him from left guard to center, you're getting worse at two positions. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. This way, Wisniewski can come in if any of the guards or, or Jason Kelsey suffer an injury. What I will say is, before we pencil him in as the starting right guard to start the season... He struggled mightily against the Saints. And that could have been just because he came off the bench. His he, career has mostly been about playing left guard and center. He didn't have a great season overall, I would say. Right, right. That's fair. Um, he doesn't have a ton of experience playing right guard. He is mostly a center and left guard. Uh, he played pretty much his entire career at center before he signed with the Eagles. So, uh, you know, I mean, he played some left guard with the Oakland Raiders, but he was a center in Jacksonville. Well, well this is why he's a backup and not a starter. Right, yeah. right. I mean, and he was a fine left guard, what have you. He, he probably is the best backup center in the league now. Um, Most experienced, certainly. Yeah, so... You know, he's fine. He had some snap issues in Jacksonville in 2015. But, again, he's a backup. So I think that'll be interesting. I think he's probably very comfortable with Carson Wentz and their timing. He's probably very comfortable with Nate Sudfeld since he worked on the scout team for a lot of last year. Uh, But... You know, I think this was a huge signing. I think it's the second biggest re-signing they've had. You can talk about Darby, you know, making that group six deep you can, and being the number one guy for them. You can talk about uh, them bringing back Timmy Jernigan, which we've already said was not really consequential to their overall success, in my opinion. Uh, outside of Brandon Graham, I think he, he's their biggest re-signing because his, of his versatility. I would say outside of Paul Warlow, but sorry. No, I mean, Paul Warlow is, you know, hey. <laughs> he's jacked. He really is. I saw him in the locker room. Like, that dude, I don't think he was that big when they signed him. <laughs> so, like, funny, I don't know if it's a funny story, but so I started week two, and week three, I just saw him walking in the locker room. Yeah. like, who is that guy? Uh, yeah, I, I turned to you. I'm this like, was like a, yeah, yeah. You remember that, right? Yeah. I was like, who the heck is that guy? Um, <laughs> does he just work here? You know what I mean? Like, um, the, the, This is a good segue into what. We, we both thought it would be cool to do because how he's made so many moves this offseason, you're talking about some of his biggest ones. Um, so we're going to we're gonna go through our top three moves that how he has made this offseason. Boom. We're going to count. We're going to go from three to one because I feel like that's the best way to do it. You know, build up. Uh, I'll go. Uh, you I'll, go first. We'll go back and forth. Three, so three. We're, oh, so we're talking about the three to one. We're doing three to one. reverse order. Yeah, reverse order. Who you got oh, at man. three? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Miles Sanders. So... Oh, okay. uh, they loved him. Like it, you're, you're it, only saying that because you want to emphasize that you were right about them. No, <laughs> like they really loved. And, and the more research I've done, they this this was going to be their second round pick. Period. And you know they were willing to trade back in the second round after that pick. He was clearly their target. I think when you really find a guy that you admire as a prospect and you really want him and you make a priority to get him and you land him. Uh, I think that's huge because I think this is a guy who can develop into a three down back. I, In hindsight, looking back, I think Jordan Howard was the perfect trade asset for them because of the Miles Sanders pick, because I think they can complement each other as a one-two punch really well. I think long-term, the idea of of Sanders and Clement together is a very good opportunity. Jordan Howard can kind of ease him in. Um, And I don't think their swag will get in each other's way. You know, I think like Jordan Howard is going to have a really healthy workload. And I think Miles Sanders, they're going to see a lot of him because they want to make sure that he's good enough for Jordan Howard to leave. So I I really like that. I think this was like the ideal pairing at running back. And 
By the way, I, I think it was a great move, but I also think it's crazy that everybody's just like assuming he's going to be the lead back, like pretty Who, quickly. Miles? Yes, I no, find a lot of people think that he's going to overtake. Like people are underestimating Jordan Howard quite a bit already. I think Jordan Howard starts at least ten games this year, and like not I, just. I would be surprised if he started all of like they might get it close to equal amount of. I don't. I don't think that'll be true even because I think Howard will start off the year getting the bulk of the carries. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Sanders is ready right now to to start game one. I agree. Um, my number three was uh, them signing Malik Jackson. As defensive tackle, uh, number one, good value. He he was like the, he had to sign the richest. What, it was like the richest defensive lineman contract ever when he signed it, right? With the Jaguars, yeah. Or defensive oh, tackle at least. Man, did he let us know? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, that's one of the best press, press conferences. And I, you could I, obviously that didn't necessarily work out for them, and that's kind of why the Eagles got him at a relative discount. But I think he's just like such a good fit next to Fletcher Cox. I think he's gonna. He's never. I mean, he played next to Clay's Campbell, but it's a different beast playing next to Fletcher Cox in the interior. And that defensive line, if they're healthy, is just so, so good. And I think a lot of that has to do with him being a major upgrade over what they've had next to Fletcher Cox pretty much since Doug Peterson has been here, at least. I know Jernigan was pretty good that one year, but he was pretty inconsistent. Jackson at his best is better than Jernigan was at his best. And Jernigan's not at his best now either. So that's why they were able to bring back both of them for fairly reasonable cost. And I, I just think, if you, and the way they structure the contract, I think they can get out of it after two years if he doesn't work out. So I, I just think that was a really smart move, another one that didn't cost them a comp pick. And I think it he, he has the potential out of all their free agent signings to make the biggest impact. So my number two sign, my number two move is your number three. I think Malik is exactly what this defense needed from a, from the perspective of they didn't have a pass rusher next to Fletcher Cox all last season, and they really didn't have one the year before, even though they were very successful. They moved Brandon Graham inside. Malik Jackson allows you to keep uh, keep your defensive tackle depth stout. Because now Graham doesn't have to move inside to get pressure. He can stay outside. Yes, that might screw up Chris Long's projected role and potentially his future in Philadelphia. But Malik Jackson, two years ago, I remember sitting in his locker and talking to him about where he, he stacks up on the three technique list. And it was Aaron Donald, Fletcher Cox, uh, Gerald McCoy, and then him is like kind of the list we put together. Like just kind of thinking of the top guys off the top of our heads, and he he talked about how much he admired Fletcher Cox, and I think this is a very per, very good marriage because Malik's going to take on double teams, which is going to free free up Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox is going to take on double teams, and that's going to free up Malik Jackson, who I think is going to deliver. Now he's not the best run stopper, that's why you bring back Jernigan, but I think. He allows you to do so much because of how talented he is as a pass rusher. You said I, you don't think the Jaguar the this, the contract worked out and in, in Jacksonville. I think it did because they structured it to be a three year deal. Okay. It, towards the end, yeah, it was. Well, it I was feel rough. like technically, if you cut a guy before the end of his contract, I don't count that as working on us. I'm not saying he was bad for them or anything, but well, I think when you sign a contract, you hope that it lasts the entire contract. Yeah. Yes, you do. But like. The I understand way, there's more to it than But that. Dave Codwell, the way he operates contracts, is they're two or three-year deals. and then That sounds a lot like a lot more. Right, and then you have options. I mean, that's a pretty – I mean, that's what how he lives on. Like that, right. That's his lifeblood. So yeah, they've got like really similar every, – Every contract that you hear about originally from Howie, it's like you find out a couple days later from Ruben Frank that mm-hmm. there's like five dummy years at the end of it. So the cap exactly. only like a million dollars when it's – like Ronald Darby's contract is the weirdest thing. 
Well, and I mean, Malik even said at his introductory press conference to sign a defensive tackle to $100 million when he hadn't made a Pro Bowl. I mean, the chances of really seeing the end of that was that. Yeah. But he did make a Pro Bowl. He, he, he produced nine sacks a couple of years ago. He helped them get to the AFC Championship game. He was a large reason why they got there. A lot of credit given to Calais Campbell. i got to tell you. Malik Jackson was he played a, a big large, part of that. Yeah, yeah, played a very large role in in, in allowing, um, you know, Campbell to beat certain blocking schemes. And so uh, I think this. I think people are going to be really surprised. I know he was a disregarded talent. He had a rough year last year, but I think he's going to be a really special player in this defense, especially for uh, Jim Schwartz. All right, we agree on that. So my number two is them re-signing Brandon Graham. Okay. Um, number one. Value They got him at a contract that if he had waited for free agency, he was going to get a lot more than that. You see the contracts those defensive ends are signing, especially ones that have, are far less proven than him. I think Zadarius Smith signed for almost $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. Like, he's young, and I get that. But Brandon Graham is a better player than him, like, today. Sure. Um, maybe maybe giving Brandon Graham a three-year deal, the third year won't work out. But, again, it's another contract, how he structure really well. If they don't have Brandon Graham right now, I think they were going to trade Michael Bennett no matter what. So all of a sudden you're scrambling to try and find a defensive end. How he's not a guy that's going to pay fifteen to twenty million dollars a year for somebody in free agency. That's just not kind of the way they go about things. I don't, I, since Namdi Asamoah, I don't think they've made a signing at that level, right? Yeah, that's not their. That's yeah. not their. So, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like financially, I mean, at that level, right? Um, and I just think you know Brandon Graham, like he's so valuable to that locker room. He's such a well-liked guy. I know maybe he's on the downswing of his career, probably, but he's still their best defensive end Like you can count on right now. You don't know what you have in Derek Barnett necessarily yet. So you needed somebody that you know what you're going to get for the next two years. Brandon Graham's going to be solid for the next two years. Maybe he doesn't make a Pro Bowl, but they need they need good defensive ends in that rotation. This defensive line's at its best when they have three to four defensive ends rotating. Maybe they don't have four this year. But Brandon Graham, I think he was the most important free agent they had in terms of bringing him back. Yeah, I agree completely. So my number one would be the drafting of Andre Dillard. Uh, I, I had the same thing. Oh, okay. So <laughs> let's talk about it like, yeah. like it's As just a conversation. A conversation. Uh, this was important because you and I were both adamant they had to find Jason Peters' heir apparent. Uh, Jason not wait Pe- anymore. Jason Peters is not only entering probably his last year in Philly, but he's coming off a year where he was beaten up. I mean, he played in every game, but he was beaten up constantly. It was like a air quotes played in every game. Yeah, I mean, it, we're every time in the press box, we we're like, oh, well, I wonder when he's going to step out for this series. So, yeah. and Big V was clearly not the guy at left tackle. I think, look, Andre Dillard is a guy who could really develop. He's already developed as a pass blocker, which is very important considering, you know, you have Carson Wentz and he's kind of a big deal. <laughs> um, Insane athlete. And I think he can develop as a run blocker. I think there's talent there. Um, I, I just think it's huge. I, and and for the fact that they only needed really to trade a couple of day three picks to get up there, big deal. Yeah, I mean, you, we talk about in terms of the way we did after the draft, which is in terms of value, in terms of the position he plays, and in terms of need. And he fills all three. You know, maybe, you know, if this was a ranking for this season, then maybe he wouldn't be on the list because he ideally he doesn't play this year. He probably will because of Peters. Um, but he wasn't necessarily like a need for 2019. Like you could, Deshaun Jackson will probably be on the list if we weren't if we weren't if we were just saying for this season. But for the future of this franchise, like he just became one of their most valuable players the minute he walked it through the Novacare complex doors. They got a top 10 value player at 22, and they only get what they give up a, what, uh, it was a fifth. It was a, it was a fourth and a sixth. Fourth and a sixth. I mean, you do that 
every time, especially if they actually are as high in them as they say they are, which I think they were. And everybody I've talked to, both close to Dillard and who has scouted him, and like it, at the run blocking stuff, like it's not his fault that Washington State passes the ball every play. Like mm-hmm. he's going to have to develop that, but he has Jeff Stoutland to coach him, and he has the tools to be an elite left tackle. He are, right now he's ready to pass block right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They filled, you know, the, the most important position besides quarterback might be the left tackle blocking for him. So, yeah. And, and look, you know, people can have qualms about the defensive end depth, about the linebacker depth, whatever. I mean, no team has an ideal setup. You're not going to have, if you have a perfect depth chart, then <laughs> yeah. that, that's just unrealistic. So, what I will say, too, is, you know, you talk about bringing in Kessler, you talk about bringing in Sudfeld. As experienced guys, if Carson Wentz goes down, your season's probably over uh, at this point. Um, but or if he can't play, um, but you're not in the same situation if Jason Peters goes down because I think Dillard's a guy who can play now. You have the luxury of just developing him behind the scenes, and I think that that's very important. Uh, you know, if Jason Peters went down to training camp, he could. I think Dillard could certainly handle the left tackle job right away. Ideally, you'd like for him to sit for most of the year and kind of just learn from the master. And that is what Jason Peters is. Jason Peters last year went up to Jordan Melata. He went up to Matt Pryor. He offered advice. He's not the most vocal guy with the media, but he is a guy that really does want to see his the young talent around him thrive. He's not really concerned about it. When you're on a one-year contract, you're not worried about being replaced, especially when you've accomplished all that he has for this organization. I mean, you can look at it. As what how he's done on offense is he's added simultaneously talent for now and for the future. Mm-hmm. You know they're set at quarterback, uh, they're set at running back both this year and beyond. They have Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders, and whatever you think of Corey Clement's future, wide receiver Sean. I'm Jack- high on Corey. Yeah, I know. I, I'm. I think it. I actually feel like people have started to underrate him now at this point. Yeah, I don't um, think people realize how valuable he, yeah, well he was. But uh, as long as he's healthy. But yeah, mm-hmm. wide receiver. You bring in Deshaun Jackson one year, two years. You have JJ Arcega Whiteside for long term. You know, maybe or maybe that's an Alshon Jeffrey replacement. Like you can make the case for either one of those. Tight end. You have Dallas Goddard and. Zach Ertz, and neither of them are slowing down anytime soon. Then on the offensive line, you know, Brooks, the only question with Brooks is whether he'll be the same player after the injury, but other than that, you have an offensive line group. Uh, I mean, Jason Kelsey, I guess, could retire in the coming years, but he's set for the next year at least. Mm-hmm. Like, center is easier to find probably than a, le- a franchise left tackle. So Yes. So, yeah. Would... So they're in position for now and the next three years, which is like the quintessential how we like thinking about now and three years from now. And what they've done to, you know, we did hammer them for their interior depth. They have a bunch of undrafted guys who, if they can get to the practice squad, they can develop. Um, Stoutland's very good at developing offensive linemen, and that's why so many good talent offensive undrafted players sign with the Eagles. Uh, Nate Herbig's a guy that kind of interests me. I mean, he could be cut by the time you guys listen to this podcast. That's, that's, the, that's the unknown factor with it, these, especially because we don't get to watch them like pretty much at all. Yeah, I mean, he he got some glowing reviews from people I respect and very interesting cat. Stanford offensive linemen, they have a pretty good history there. So, Oh, yeah. Before we cap the show, I got to bring this up. So, because no one's talked about this. Um, and it got a lot of attention yesterday. But J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is apparently, like, a, an incredible leader. And we didn't know that. Like, that wasn't, like, a thing that came with his, you know, draft profile. And speaking of Herbig, Herbig said that 
he's he's the one of the best leaders he's ever been around, and that he's on the level of Christian McCaffrey, who, if you remember him during his college, I mean, you covered yeah. the back. He's one of the most fun players I've ever. Yeah, played. but he his leadership style, like you used to see him in the huddle, and he was incredible. If he can be the guy that eventually takes over from for Alshon Jeffrey, not only from a playing standpoint but a leadership standpoint, this wide receiver room is in terrific shape. I think that that like I, I some people think that leadership's overrated. Some people think that leadership it's too valuable. But I think when you can be a great player and a leader at the same time, kind of like Jason Kelsey, kind of like Fletcher Cox, it brings everybody together because you want to you want to be behind somebody who leads by example and 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 can convey a message. And apparently that's what J.J. or Sequel White said. Well, I have an interesting question to end this on. So three years from now, is J.J. or Sequel White side the only receiver left in this group? Yes. That's kind of crazy to think about. Unless DeAndre Thompson like that's becomes a position, an incredible that's a, They're probably going to have to draft someone like the first round this next year. Well, I think like you look at like the turnaround of... Of, of guys. I think Arcego Whiteside can develop into a number one guy. I think Deshaun will be here for two years. I think Alshon's here for two years. Three years, now you're talking like yeah. Alshon's in his 30s. Deshaun's probably retired. That's what I'm saying. Like the, well, the, the funny thing is, like the Eagles, Eagles fans are kind of spoiled at receiver for the longest time. Mm-hmm. They just did not have receivers for McNabb. Like that was, everybody was just, like Todd Pinkston was like the number one. James Thrash, Todd Pinkston, Charles Johnson. Like I mean, all these. Carson was throwing to Bryce Triggs two years ago. Like, <laughs> Like, it's funny to see, because the one thing the Eagles never seemed to get in the offseason until they got T.O. when they went to the Super Bowl right away, when they got T.O., it was a receiver. Like, Andy Reid just refused to, he thought they were interchangeable, so he just got a bunch of scrubs who were scared of getting tackled. So, yeah, I, mean, I, find, I find it funny. Like, you appreciate what the Eagles have on offense right now, because this is the, one of the more ridiculous group of weapons they've ever had in this franchise. I mean, they also have the best, like, when healthy, this is the best offensive line ever. Yeah, exactly. Like, really? And, and like, they brought Wisniewski back. Yeah. All right, well, we'll end on that note. Um, thanks for listening. Sorry for spoiling Game of Thrones for people who haven't watched it for some you are the uh, You are the Daenerys of this <laughs> podcast. So calling it's me the Mad King? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a king. I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> That's kind of her thought process, by the way. <laughs> You're more like you're more, you're more like the rough around the edges prince, but yeah, we'll give that to you. <laughs> the prince who was promised, you might say. All right, oh, God. <laughs> turn this podcast oh, off. If anybody's made it this far in the podcast, then you might enjoy that joke. All right, uh, we'll end on that note. As always, leave a comment. We'll we'll talk about it on the show. Uh, leave a review. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Read our stuff. NJ.com slash Eagles. Mike is pointing at me. I think he has one more thing to say. Um, the discussion point, because I want to talk about it next podcast. What is the biggest depth competition that you see on the roster? Please leave us the comments in, in the comment section, and we'll break down every single I one of What us. position battle are you like most interested in? Right. It could be the fourth linebacker or whatever have you. But have fun with that. <laughs> fourth linebacker. First, first thought. All right. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon.